Hello there, my friends. Today's episode is specifically for you parents of addicts. But before I get going here, I want you, if you're not the parent of an addict, to just listen real quickly because this is a message that could help somebody you know. Let's face it, at this point, nobody has not been affected by addiction in some way, either directly or somebody that you know. So share this message with them, but importantly, you could listen in and maybe some of the information that I present here today can help you to help them, or at least to just be a little bit more understanding because nobody imagines themselves in this situation. I mean, in a million years, I could never have imagined my brilliant, talented, gifted daughter winding up in addiction. I mean, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I remember having people in the beginning of my messaging and me talking publicly about my situation, people asking me, you know, what, what could you tell us now about that moment that you look back and you say, oh, this is when I should have figured it out, right? This is when it, it was so obvious. What were those early warning signs when she was a child? Well, I have to tell you, there were none. Sure, Jamie was headstrong and she could be difficult at times, but really she was the girl who had it all. Left brain, right brained, athletic and artistic, so quick witted and fun and funny and popular. And, you know, she went to youth group and got good grades and was really responsible until one day when it just all fell apart. And so for those of you parents listening and for those of you who are not parents and who just might learn a few things, I hope this will help you to gain some perspective because I have to tell you that I was very, very critical of parents whose kids went astray. I used to stand on my soapbox and say that if your kid becomes an addict or they do something illegal, that it's your fault. I literally said those words talk about eating your words. And one day, it was my daughter. One day, this was my life. One day, I finally had that label that I never wanted, never imagined, mom of an addict. And I had to fall off my soapbox. Let me tell you, I just about broke my neck falling off that soapbox. It hurt. Now I realize I was just so ignorant. I didn't understand. I really, truly believed that there was such a strong correlation between parenting and the results. And by the way, I'm not saying that parenting doesn't matter because it absolutely does. And I still believe that the things that Jamie learned from my parenting served her along the way, even though she wound up on this path of addiction. So I'm not saying parenting doesn't matter. It does. But we all know people who were raised by parents who were not good parents, and yet they turned out wonderfully. And we know people who were good parents, like me, who wound up with a child in addiction or making other really bad choices. And so I just implore everybody to be a little more understanding because this is a road I would not wish on anybody. It's a nightmare. I call it the roller coaster from hell because it is literally, it is like being on a roller coaster in the dark and you're riding this thing painfully up one hill and screaming down the next, 
just caught in this cycle of hope and disappointment and confusion and just not knowing what's up ahead in the road. And let's face it, nobody knows what's up up ahead in the road in any area of our lives. And that's scary enough when it has to do with ourselves, but when it has to do with a child, and most of you that I'm talking to, your children are adults, and it doesn't matter how old they are, they're still your child, they're still a part of you, and it's so painful to watch them struggle. I remember that it was painful when I had to ground my son or daughter. And it's funny because most of parents have said, and I did too, this hurts me too. I don't want you to miss out on things. And I'm sure no kid was buying that, but, but it's true. It makes us feel bad. In fact, they call it tough love. If you're the parent of an addict, you really don't want to hear those two words when it comes to a child in addiction. Tough love. Really? Tough love? That's not allowing your kids to go to the movies on Friday night. I call it excruciatingly painful love, the decisions that we are forced to make as moms and dads of addicts. It's excruciating to draw your line in the sand, to think about yourself, to keep yourself safe in a very dangerous world, to say enough is enough, to stop handing out money you don't have. It's it's so beyond anything that I could have imagined having to deal with in life, and I know that you can relate to this. And, and so I wish, what I really wish is that I had the solution for addiction. And I don't think anybody has any one solution for addiction. It doesn't exist. I don't have that. But I do know that I can help you. I can help you to navigate this, this roller coaster from hell. This life after all hell has broken loose for you. And I just want you to be able to live without living in paralyzing fear, to get your life back, to focus on your own recovery, and to understand why it's the best thing you can do for everybody. So let's jump into these nine things. And I first, let me, before I get started, I think I've already said that twice now, haven't I? Before I get started, well, I'm already started here. I want to say something to you moms and dads. You have a special place in my heart. No matter what work I go out into this world and do, you will always be at the forefront of my heart and my soul. And a lot of the work that I do and the messages that I send are not specifically for moms of addicts or dads of addicts, but that's because I want you to remember that your life is more than this. Even though I know it can be all-consuming and it can feel as if nothing else matters, I've been there. But there are other things that matter. You do have other people in your life that matter. And so I really encourage you to not get so into that tunnel vision mode that all you ever read, talk about, think about, or feel that you fit into is something that has to do with addiction or families of addicts or parents of addicts. That's not true. You are a whole person. So just be careful to balance your life so that you don't wind up in isolation. In my book, Still Standing After All the Tears, I wrote a story called The Old Woman in the Cave, and it was so reminiscent or it was such a depiction, I should say, of my life and how I felt, how I had isolated myself. Even if I was physically going through the motions, I had completely isolated myself emotionally 
I just wasn't present anymore. I just all I cared about was Jamie getting clean again. And I was just so devastated and felt like I was a disappointment to God and, and to Jamie and to my son, Sean, and my husband and just everybody, I really felt I had let everybody down. And in that mode of, of shame and guilt, and just feeling like a horrible human being, I isolated myself. I felt like I was this person in a cave. I had this dark cloud hanging over my heart 24 hours a day. So if that's where you are, I know how that feels. And I know that it may seem impossible for you to leave that space unless your son or daughter gets clean. It's important for you to know that when I stood up to fight and I wound up creating the nine actions to battle your beast that I first introduced in the book, Still Standing After All the Tears, I was at my lowest point. I was standing in my kitchen and told my husband, Rich, that I didn't want to be here anymore. I just told him it was too hard. I was so depressed and just trying to figure out how to make it through every single day and pretend I was okay to the outside world. It was just this big act. And so my, my encouragement to you is if that's where you are, you're at that super low point, the lowest point you could imagine being, that's exactly the time for you to stand up and fight. Don't think that you have to wait for things to get better. You don't have the energy. I hear that all the time. I don't have the energy. It's often because we're fighting the wrong battle. We're trying to fight a battle that we can't win. And so the best thing you can do is to focus on yourself, your own recovery, your own life, because there is still a lot of life left for you. Okay, so let me get into these nine things that I really sincerely hope and believe will help you if you can really take them to heart and start making some changes. The first thing is to recognize that some things don't make sense. I know, you wish that it was something more tangible, right? You thought the first thing was to be something you could just grab a hold of. But this really is if you start to think about it. I mean, there is no manual for regular parenting, right? And if there were parenting manuals, the version that was for parents of addicts, my gosh, it would take a dump truck to deliver it to you. It is the most confusing world. You will never have all the answers in the best of parenting. You won't have all the answers in anything in your life. Most of our lives, all of the events that occur, we have very little control. When addiction's in the equation, you have even less control. You have fewer answers. And so I discovered that the best thing to do is to file the things that don't make sense in the some things don't make sense file. I mean, really, it's this place in your brain, in your heart. You're going to have to start putting things. Otherwise, you drive yourself nuts asking why, 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 why? Trying to figure something out that you will never have all the answers to. So instead of driving yourself nuts, just recognize and accept that some things don't make sense. Number two, it's not your fault. And I know a lot of you are going to reject that because you have decided that in order for you to make sense of this, right, for you to find some kind of answer to that question why, you blame yourself. You don't want to blame your son or daughter. You love them so much. You, it, it's so confusing. And so because there is no answer, please refer back to, to number one, the some things don't make sense file. Because of that, 
you've decided to blame yourself. I remember going through the list. I mean, the list of the most ridiculous things. That one moment I said that thing to Jamie six years ago, the decision I made to do this or that, that one time I slapped her in the face when she was just being a beast. <laughs> and I mean, whatever it was, and you beat yourself up. Let's say there was a reason. I don't believe there is, but let's say there were a reason that was your fault for addiction. Would beating yourself up help the situation? It's in the past. There would be nothing you can do about it. And if you continued to beat yourself up, you'd never come to a place of being healthy in order to even stand with your son or daughter when they're clean. So it's really self-defeating. But unless you held your son or daughter down and put drugs in them purposely, it's not your fault. And so you've got to forgive yourself because you're not helping yourself and you're not helping them at all by self-flogging. The other thing you're doing is you are suggesting to them that this is what they should do. They should keep beating themselves up and never forgive themselves. That's what you're demonstrating. So it's not your fault. Use the F word as I call it and forgive yourself. Let it go. The third thing is that you don't have control. And I mentioned this earlier. I mean... If you really sit down, take out a piece of paper and write down the things in your life that you really truly have direct control over, you will find that that list is very, very short. And if you were to write a list of the things that you don't have control over, the events, the world events, even personal events, driving down the road, what people say to you, what they think about you, and the list goes on, you'd find out that's a very long list. And so life is very much outside of our control for the most part. Here's the cool thing. You do have control over a couple of things and they're all really related you have control over your attitude your mindset how you think and therefore you can even control your feelings yes I know sometimes feelings just come for those of you who don't know my daughter was murdered in August of 2016 and I have a huge hole in my heart and I've really learned how to live with that hole and to be okay and be better than okay. But there are times when feelings just surface, they bubble up, and I need to cry and I need to just be with my feelings. That's fine. So I'm not saying that feelings don't just arrive sometimes. But for the most part, day to day, we can control our emotions and our feelings because we control our thoughts. And if you think about it, if you're continuously thinking fearful thoughts, you're going to feel afraid. If you're continually thinking of loss, you're going to feel loss. If you're continually feeling as if life has dealt you a bad hand, you're going to feel sorry for yourself. You get what I'm saying? So start changing your mindset because you don't have control over this thing that's happening in addiction, but you do have control over yourself. And I'll talk about that a little bit more, but just recognize that you don't have control. If you had control, if you could control your son or daughter's addiction beast, wouldn't you have done it a long time ago? Wouldn't we not even be having this conversation? If you had control, the first moment you found out about addiction, you would have solved the problem. You don't have control. But that's not to say they don't and that life won't get better for them. But just stop trying to control something that you can't control. I call it the illusion of control. Number four, there's no easy way through this. And I don't want you to take this, this thing that you need to know and turn it into feeling sorry for yourself. I'm sure you already are feeling sorry for yourself. I certainly did. 
but I'm not trying to give you an out and to have you live in self-pity with this particular thing. What I really more mean by this is that it's important to seek wise counsel and to try to understand you know, what you can, but recognize that there is no easy way through this. And so if you're looking for somebody to give you all the answers or you're constantly looking for everybody to tell you what to do in a, in a particular situation, they don't know either. In fact, they probably know less than you do because they're not in your particular situation and understand all of the dynamics. So the bottom line is, is let's, let's go back over the first four. Some things don't make sense. It's not your fault. You don't have control and there's no easy way through this. So we really need to stop looking for an easy way. The fifth thing is that you are responsible for your happiness. I want to give you a perspective that might really help you. It'll help you in two ways. It'll help you to stop putting the the responsibility for your happiness on the shoulders of your son or daughter. And it will help you to start thinking about, wow, I am responsible for my happiness. So let me go out and do something about it. Listen, I know you would be happier if your son or daughter we're out of addiction. Are you kidding me? I would have been so much happier. I mean, my life would have, I mean, it, exponentially. I, it would have made all the difference, of course. But even if your son or daughter got clean, and I hope and pray that they do, and life just went in a completely different direction, you'd still be that person that has gone through PTSD, depression, worry, maybe you have health issues over it, there are still a lot of things that we have to deal with no matter what they do. And we're responsible for making ourselves happy. And one thing that might get you to start moving in that direction is to start thinking about the responsibility that you've placed on your son or daughter. I started thinking about that. I'm going, okay, wait a minute here. Jamie is living with this addiction beast which is a thousand pound beast, this weight on her shoulder. She's living in shame and guilt and, and she's has broken relationships and, you know, a lot of defeat, whatever it is that she's feeling. And then I'm placing my happiness on her shoulders, right? I mean, I used to guilt trip her like crazy. You know, if only you would do this, then I could be happy and grandma and your brother. And I mean, on and on and on. I placed an extra burden on her shoulders that she didn't need. It's not to say that they shouldn't understand the magnitude of what their choices to continue in addiction are doing to the family. But when we're constantly doing that to them, it's not helping. The sixth thing is that self-destruction is not an option. And some of you are self-destructing. I get it. I get it. I get it. You're in so much pain. You've stopped caring about yourself and perhaps even really on the surface stopped caring about other people. I know deep down you haven't, but you're so focused, hyper-focused on this one thing that seems to, to matter the most. And unless it happens, unless your son or daughter becomes clean, you're, you're done. You don't have a chance at having a good life, a meaningful life. I'm here to tell you, and I don't want this to scare you, but my daughter died. And by the way, my daughter did not overdose. She was murdered. But my daughter left this world. And I used to say, if anything ever happened to her, I'd be done. And I'm not done. So, I mean, even if the worst thing happens, you can make it. But if you self-destruct, if you destroy all of your courage and your strength and your hope, 
in the middle of all this, what if the worst thing happens? Or what if the best thing happens? And you're just, you know, a heap on the ground. Self-destruction is not an option. You've got to start focusing on yourself. It's the best thing you can do for everybody. Number seven is to be mindful of your other relationships. And I've kind of weaved this through some of the other points that I've made today. But really be mindful of your relationships. I tried really hard to, to stay in there with my son and to, to be there for him and focus on him. But even when I was, sometimes I don't even know if he realized it, but I wasn't present. I'd be at his football games and I would be, I mean, when he was on the field, I would be watching him and everything. But any other break, I wasn't thinking about the game. All I could do is watch the cheerleaders because they were Jamie's friends. I mean, it, it, I just spent so much time so depressed and not being present in my other relationships. And thank God, by the way, that I have a husband because he's Jamie's stepfather that was willing to really hang in there with me because there was a point where I was ready to leave him in a second, in a moment's notice, if he wouldn't continue on the chaos train that I was on, if he wouldn't support my codependency, me, codependency and my enabling, I just... If he wasn't going to be a part of it, I was ready to leave him. Can you imagine what my life would have been like with Jamie and I? I mean, maybe I would have been shot too. I mean, who knows? Anyway, be mindful of your other relationships because, boy, do they matter. The eighth thing is that there's always hope. And it might seem funny to you coming from somebody who lost their child, but I still believe in hope. And I had hope. Up until the moment I got that knock on the door, I had hope. I, I continued to live with it. And had I not, I wouldn't be here today. There's no way I would have been able to write books and reach out and support and, and guide and help other people and to build my strength if I had lost hope. God was at work in everything that happened. And I don't believe that God had Jamie murdered at all. But he really has been there. He's been there for me, but also in relationships and giving me the opportunity to use my story to help other people. So there's always hope and God's in there working. So just don't lose your faith. The ninth thing is that you're stronger than you think. And I mentioned this. My world came crashing down when Jamie was shot the first time in 2004 when she was 18 and her ex-boyfriend shot her and nearly killed her. And then my world continued to crash down as, as life got harder and harder. Life got harder in addiction, and it also got harder in a lot of other areas of my life. It seemed that there was not one area of my life that was going well. Very serious stuff that I dealt with all at the same time. And if somebody had told me that I could make it through even one of the things that I've made it through, I wouldn't have thought it possible. But here I am, still standing. So really, my friends, no matter what the future holds, you are stronger than you think. You have the choice. When you fall to the mat, you can fall in fear and stay there, or you can get back up. You can choose to fight. I hope and pray that you will choose to fight. You deserve it. You never know when your story of courage can be that one little moment of light, that moment of hope for another parent. So link arms with me. Go to ValerieSilbera.com. We have a page on addiction that's all about families and support 
And I would love for you to get on my email list so I can send you encouraging messages. And let's just, let's do this together. I know how lonely and, and scared you feel as the parent of an addict. But together, I truly believe that we can stand through anything. So focus on becoming all that you can be, learning every single possible thing you can through this journey. Your story matters, so live it courageously.